David Spada is a successful attorney whose dream was to become a sports talk show host. Elliot Harris is a Chicago sports columnist who wanted to expand his media presence. In the next hour, they combine their talents and love of sports and women by interviewing former professional athletes and lovely ladies on sports and torts. But keeping the boys out of trouble isn't always easy because when David and Elliot are together, they have more fun than should be legal. Hi, I'm David Spader. We're going to have another great show today. It's going to be baseball intensive. Former Major League broadcaster Milo Hamilton he used to call the Cubs back in the early 80s. Actually, he started with them in the early 60s, but I remember him in the early 80s uh, with Jack Brickhouse. He also worked with Harry Carey. It's well known that him and Harry did not see eye to eye. And then he was with the Houston Astros for 20-some years. And a former baseball manager, better known as the former coach at Arizona State University. He led in the three national championships, Bobby Winkles. So let's get right to an interview I did with Baseball Hall of Famer, Milo Hamilton. I thought, well, I saw it in the Navy News when they were going to audition. So I got a Jeep and I went up to the 20th Air Force Base, which you may not know, but it was the home of the B-29, the bomber that won the war in the Pacific. And I got a part in the play, and a couple of the guys from Armed Forces Radio were there, and they said, We've got a guy going home next week. Have you ever been on the air? I said, well, I turned 18 about six weeks ago. I've never been on the radio. <laughs> so they said, well, we like your voice. We'd like to try you out. So it was really lucky because the radio station was on the same complex on uh, top of Mount Aganyan Guam as my CB outfit. So I went over and auditioned. They liked me. They said, we can do the paperwork. Would you like to be on the radio? And I said, boy, it sounds great to me because I was a kid. I didn't know what I wanted to be. So I did, and that was Thanksgiving week of 45. And uh, then about six weeks later, the uh, tournament for the servicemen in the Pacific was held on Guam. And by elimination, nobody had ever played. I'd played old country hardball. They said, you're it. And I did the games for a week, and I said, hey, I'm going to go home and become a baseball announcer. And that was 70 years ago. So it's turned out pretty good for me. I've been on the air 70 years. I still am. So you went to University of Iowa. You were calling Iowa basketball and football, and then you were doing the minor league baseball. How did the job with the um, Tri-City Blackhawks come about? Well, I had never done any baseball. Excuse me. <laughs> had a little frog. I had to get rid of there. So I cut a tape. I made up a baseball game. And I took it up to uh, Davenport, Iowa, and they liked it. And So I got the job, and... Uh, as a, as a result, that started me on the road. So at 25 years old, you're broadcasting Major League Baseball with the St. Louis Browns. I mean, that was even unheard of back then for someone that young. Well, to get to the big leagues when you're 25 is unbelievable because most guys have to wait longer than that. 
I've got to get rid of this frog one way or another. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no problem. Yeah, I mean, anyone making the big leagues, whether a baseball player, especially an announcer, like you said, is unheard of here. I mean, and there were established announcers back then who were all begging for these jobs. Well, to get there when I was 25 and uh, do games in St. Louis and Chicago, uh, Atlanta, Pittsburgh, and Chicago again, then finishing up in Houston, I've been a lucky guy. So when the Browns moved to Baltimore, why did you not go with them? Well, they wanted their own people. Plus the <laughs> plus the fact the Cardinals needed me the next year, so I stayed in St. Louis. And you got to work with Harry Carey and Jack Buck. What was that like when oh, you joined the Cardinals? Was you like the with third Jack wheel? Buck was great. <laughs> if you know anything about my history, uh, Carey and I were not compatible in the same booth. No, it makes sense. I mean, Harry was all about Harry. I mean, he was promoting himself I'm sh- with well, the Cubs. I'm sure he was doing it with the Cardinals, too, and the White Sox. Yeah, it happened that way. And uh, when they didn't renew my contract, for the Cubs at the end of 84, which I thought was the team that should have been in the World Series, Sandberg and Say and Boa and all those guys. And uh, I was doing the Bulls and DePaul on GNTV, and they had they wanted me to stay, which is unusual, because usually when they don't renew your contract for baseball, they escort you out the building. But I stayed that winter and got the job in Houston. And uh, it's been great to me. I've made six halls of fame since I've been here, and uh, including the one in Cooperstown. So this was a, a great move for me. Did Jack Buck help you at all become a better broadcaster? Jack Buck and I were very close. He was probably the best friend I had in the business. And uh, later on, he advised me, he said, you got to stop doing TV. He and Bob Murphy both said, look, baseball is a radio game. So I got out of television in the mid-90s, and uh, it was the right move for me. He had done it. Bob Murphy of the Mets had done it. Because baseball truly is you paint a picture, and it's it's really a lot more enjoyable. So that enhanced my career, and I stayed on, retired a couple of years ago. And uh, I had 59 years in the big leagues, which is second only to Vince Scully, who's the best in our business, as you know. And uh, I've done 59 ballparks, which is the most. So I've been lucky enough to stick around, and this business has been very good to me. I ended up doing basketball for over 40 years, football for 25, and you know about the baseball, 59 years. And three years before that, at Davenport in the three I laid. Is there something that stands out as your favorite moment in baseball? Well, I think historically, and Babe himself didn't think it would ever be broken, I think when I did Aaron 715 when I was in Atlanta, it would have to be the big one. Because that was a big moment, and uh, it stood out. As you probably know, if you listen to MLB at all and other stations, it's the most replayed broadcast of all times. I'm proud of that. And uh, when, you, when you think about it, uh, 
that stands up, and Mike Scott's no hitter here that clinched a pennant. Vigio's 3,000 hit. Uh, I've done 11 no hitters. So I've been in the right place at the right time, and uh, doing big league baseball has been a – I really enjoyed it. I could have done it a couple more years, but I was 86 at the time, and I knew I knew it was time. And I still work for the ball club. I'm an advisor to the owner, and I still do ceremonies on the field. So I've got my hand in because I, I can't be idle. I do a lot of commercials. So – Staying on the air is important to me, and I'll be 88 in a couple of months, and I enjoy every bit of it. What is it with you baseball announcers? I mean, you never retire. You just keep going. You mentioned Ben Scully, you, um, Jerry Coleman, went till he passed away. Same thing with Harry Carey. I, I mean, back, Buck, and Bob Murphy. Exactly, and the guy from the Washington Senators, who I think is like 95, and he's still going. His name's leaving me right now. I talked to him a couple of years ago. Oh, Bob Wolf. Yeah, he's and then uh, there's several good ones. I like Davey O'Brien a lot. Uh, I like uh, Thorne and the Orioles a lot. I like uh, the announcer with the Marlins. Uh, there, there's some good ones, but they're few and far between. And I'll tell you why that they stay on the radio is because the new guys think that television is where it is. I really believe radio is where it is for baseball. Why is that? Well, you get a chance to paint a picture, and if you're telling the story, you can complete it. Or on TV, they put stuff up on the screen, and the producer down in the truck wants you to talk about what they want you to talk about. You're not your own guy. And uh, I think working with a good analyst and one of my favorites, when I was doing Cubs radio in the 80s with Lou Boudreau, he was one of my favorites. I loved working with Lou. And when I came here, uh, Biggio uh, was the big star, along with Caminetti and Mike Scott's Cy Young Award. So I had a lot of things that really enhanced it and uh, stayed right with it. And Alan Ashby became a great color man for me. So... Uh, I've been lucky. I, I I wish maybe I could have done it a couple more years, but I was having trouble. Here, here's the one that a lot of guys my age have. You're not sure if a ball is going over the fence for a home run because of your eyesight. I could do a game. I could still do a game now. I'm on the air every Sunday with Milo's memories. But uh, during the games, I wasn't going to embarrass myself, and I knew it was time. How did you feel when you found out you went in the Hall of Fame? Well, I thought it was going to be Bob Murphy. Uh, so when I got the call from Cooperstown, from Bill Guilfoyle, it was a total surprise. Uh, Jack Brickhouse and Bob Elson, who you probably heard of, but maybe didn't get a chance to know him. He was in He's down there in Houston River, still, right? right, I believe. And uh, I just felt that uh, I wouldn't. They told me I was going to make it someday. And Jack Buck said, when you've done it a number of years, they'll consider you. So I was, uh, 
I was overcome by it and and going in there. I was in my class was uh Tommy Seaver and Raleigh Fingers. So I really had a great crowd there. Biggest crowd we ever had. Before that they've had bigger ones since for Cal Ripken. And I think they'll really have a crowd this year with the three pitchers plus Biggio. That'll be a great crowd. Are you going there for Biggio this year? I can't do it because they won't let me fly. Okay. I can't drive a car anymore. That's my biggest problem, uh, biggest adjustment. But my son comes in some months from Atlanta and makes sure I'm doing okay, and I had caregivers for a while. But I'm getting along fine, and I have somebody from the ball club. They've assigned a driver, so when I need to go to the park, they come and get me if I need to do errands. Uh, I, I'm I'm doing okay, and I'm getting better every day. And I just I'm glad I still get to go to the ballpark because I enjoy it. You've seen a lot of baseball players. Who do you think the best ever was? I've heard Willie Mays. I've heard Hank Aaron. Well, you got to put Clemente in there. Clemente was the greatest right fielder I ever saw. I would say that Willie Mays was right up there. If if Mandel had been healthy, he might have been it. But the injuries just kept piling up, and his lifestyle kept piling up. So I guess you'd have to say Mays. And uh, maybe the most natural was Joe DiMaggio. Uh, Casey Stengel felt that if Mandel had been able to keep his health he would have been the greatest player of all time. The way he could run and hit for power and a switch hitter, it's hard to argue with that, but we'll never know because he was hurt a lot. Daryl Evans mentioned Hank Aaron. He was on base when you called that legendary home run. He says Hank Aaron doesn't get the respect or didn't get the respect he deserved back then because Willie was more flashy. Henry was just quiet and got the job done, but he could do it all. Well, and he, he had a lot more pressure his, on him. He, he did his job, never bothered anybody, never ran out from under his cap or did anything with a flare. But uh, home run hitter, you bet. He was great, drove in a lot of runs, was never hurt. I don't remember him ever being on the DL. I'm sure sometime he had to go on for a few days, but never any prolonged. And... uh I think you got to include Musial in that group somewhere. The career he had, the batting titles he won, and the way he was never hurt. He just played every day. And Musial, when you go in the Hall of Fame, the bat company asks you to pick your favorite player. And because what he did for people and the way he signed autographs and the whole picture, Musial was my favorite. What was it like working with Jack Brickhouse? Oh, it was wonderful because, number one, we were good friends. Number two, he picked me to succeed him at WGN, and that meant a lot to me. Have him come after me and say, I'm probably going to hang it up in a year, and I'd really like to have you be the guy that comes in and takes my place. And right along with it, I was doing the Bulls on TV and, Paul with Ray Meyer and 
So it was a great opportunity, but uh, it just wasn't in the cards to keep going because Terry uh, wanted the stage by himself, and that's okay if that's the way he wanted it. Uh, but coming to Houston and doing all the great things I've been able to do here, uh, you never know what's going to be the next step. So I've been very fortunate, and I'm very happy. You mentioned you covered the Bulls in 84, so you saw Michael Jordan during his rookie year. Did you ever that is envision- correct. Did you ever envision he was to become the player he did? I don't think anybody did. I think they thought he was good. But the way he developed and the way he worked on his game and came up with that great jump shot and the way he played every day and played hurt, uh, he was an amazing. Now they talk about LeBron, and they think maybe he's us now. But for me, uh, Jordan the greatest player of all time. Jordan, I mean, there's people, like you said, I mean, who have the talent, but Jordan had the desire. I don't think LeBron's got the same desire Jordan has because Jordan didn't want to lose. He didn't, I mean, he took over games. LeBron tried to look for other people to help out. Jordan just knew what he needed to do. Well, and I think Jordan knew that it was his game and he really knew how to work it and, bring other guys into the picture, but when the game needed to be taken over and they needed somebody to handle it, Jordan was the man. Is there anyone on baseball who you think had a similar personality to Jordan who kind of could take over games? Well, you got to remember I'm partial. I like Biggio a lot. 3,000 hits, played every day, caught. He played second base, center field, then came back to second base. He was a team man. He played every out like it was the last one. So, um, but in another era, I go back to Musio. I mean, he he was infectious. I mean, everybody loved him, the players and the fans. But uh, it was a different time. But right now, Biggio would be my guy. Towards the end of his career, like you mentioned, he played center field and he had to run up that hill. Now I'm hearing they're taking that hill out of the, the new park. What Thank do you think about God. that? Get it out of there. Whose idea was it? It'll be out next year and it's really going to be nice the way they're going to fix it up. What was the reason for that hill? Does anyone know? Or did you just thought it'd be cool? Well, Tal Smith was with the ball club then. And Tal Smith... Uh, his real name was Doubleday. I mean, he thought he invented the game, which he didn't. But he wanted it because it was a tribute to the terrace in Cincinnati. Well, that didn't mean anything to us. And it didn't mean anything to our new park. And it'll be a better park, and the hitters are going to love it more with the hill gone in 2016. Did you have a favorite park to uh, call a game at? Well, I think when you grew up in a little town in Iowa and you thought Chicago was the end of the world, always loved coming to Wrigley. Uh, of the new parks, I thought Baltimore started the new one by making it seem like an old ballpark with the measurements and not building it for a football team. Got to remember there was an era 
when all the baseball teams were cookie cutters and they did it so the football team could play. Then it went the other way. That's why I like Minute Maid Park for the Astros better than I like the Dome. It is now a baseball field, and that's the way it ought to be. The park I keep hearing good things about is San Francisco, Pac Bell. They said it's absolutely beautiful. San Francisco is a good park, and they've got the different measurements, and it's a beautiful scene looking out over the bay. So uh, you're right. The new parks, there are a lot to choose from. Is there anything you change about your career? Well, it'd be easy to go back and say, when you were chosen to come to Chicago and replace Jack Bickhouse, that would have been a nice way because they told me at the time, this is where you will stay and where you will finish. And I envisioned that. It didn't turn out that way, so if I could change it, I would have liked to stay there because I loved the town. I loved doing the Bulls. I loved doing DePaul. And... uh but you don't get to pick and choose in this business. So uh, being able to come to Houston and fill in there and become uh, the voice here for all those years, still working, it turned out just right. Chuck Swirsky, who was the GN sports director for a while, now he does the Bulls game, he's been covered, filling in for Ken Harrelson doing TV for the White Sox. I know, and I he saw him here last week. He mentioned that he used to love when he was a GN, sitting in his office because Jack Brickhouse would come in, you would come in, and everybody would just talk sports for hours upon then. Yeah, that was, that was a great era. That was a great time. It's like you mentioned Lou Boudreau, all those guys. Yeah, great people. Great people to be around, great people to work with. Did you... Daryl Evans mentioned that Henry Aaron went through so much during that 73-74 seasons when he was going after the record, being in separate hotels, the death threats. Did you see any of that when you were broadcasting, or were you sheltered from that? You mean you're talking about the mail? The mail, the phone calls, or anything? We that? didn't know about it until afterwards. Uh, that's the way Henry wanted it, and that's the way the ball club wanted it. They had a detective following him and staying with him on the road, but as far as knowing how it was or how bad it was, we did not know about it until after the fact. How many World Series have you covered? Uh, 79, I was the voice of the Pirates when we upset the Orioles, and then 05 with the White Sox. So you got one ring for the 79 Pirates? Yeah, one championship ring and a pennant ring for the uh, 05 Astros. That 79 team, I remember, with Willie Stargell, Dave Parker, the We Are Family. Were they that tight of a team? Oh, fabulous team. We Are Family was their theme song for a reason. They were supposed to finish next to last, and they won it. Fell behind 1-3 to three in the World Series and came back and won it. They were just a fun... And it was almost like Parker hated everybody on the team, but it was an act. I mean, he just, he'd come in the clubhouse, throw a bat rack around. I mean, he, he, just, <laughs> he just kept the clubhouse light 
And that's why I think they were great, because they all loved the game and they loved each other. Did you have a favorite a manager to come? Manager, great manager in Chuck Tanner. Who do you think the best manager you saw was? Well, people that had the most to do with my life were Paul Richards, Al Lopez, Chuck Tanner. I thought Garner did a great job here. We were 30-some games out on Memorial Day, and we went on to win the pennant. And uh, Garner did a great job. But uh, I liked Lopez a lot. Thought he did a great job. And uh, Tanner took a club that wasn't for the win anything, and they won it all. So that's how you have to judge them. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, former ASU manager and manager of the Oakland A's and California Angels, Bobby Winkles. You're listening to Sports and Torts here on TalkZone.com. 